At this point, you should be on the frame with a film strip title that says Oral Hygiene. Welcome to Oral Hygiene. This is the podcast where we look at educational films, experimental caught films, and interesting documentaries. Uh, this is Matt with me today. I've got Mark and Tara from the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Thanks for joining us again. Thank you for having us. Yes. You got your uh, your new artwork up on the um, on the feed now. That's kind of fun. I like that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that was uh, that was uh, an artistic choice to put that raven in there. It symbolizes a lot of what we'll be getting into more and more on the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast. Right on. Although I should note on my iPad, it still shows the old artwork for some reason. So <laughs> maybe it yeah, just takes some yeah. time. Podcast to... apps they they take a while to reset those RSS feeds. Some podcast apps don't ever reset the rss feed you got to do it manually so it just sometimes it just depends on what app you're using yeah and sorry i should mention for the listener we had to kind of jury rig the uh recording a bit today so um if it's a little more lo-fi sorry but hopefully what we are talking about should uh overcome that so <laughs> and uh today that is a documentary uh well, an interview from 1959 with uh carl jung um and Mark, could you give us a quick, you know, rundown of what we're seeing here? Yeah, it's an interview between a gentleman and Carl Jung. I thought it was fantastic, which is why I sent it to you. Some of the things that Carl Jung mentioned in there, you know, they started with the typical interview type questions. They had, uh, you know, where did you grow up? What was growing up like? And Carl Jung answered some questions and that kind of led into some religious spiritual questions that I thought were fascinating. I don't know if you caught the part where he mentioned uh, being a part of whatever church it was. And the interviewer said, you know, did you believe in God when you were a part of this church? He goes, oh, well, sort of, you know, and then he asks him, do you believe in God now? And he goes, no, I don't believe in God. I know. You know I, I don't need to believe. I know. And I thought that was just so profound. And that was part of the reason why I sent this to you to uh, for us to have this conversation. Yeah, and I, I think that is sort of the uh, money shot, so to speak, from this documentary. I've heard, I've heard that quoted around a few times. Um, I'll just throw out my couple synchronicities because when you said, hey, let's do Young, uh, just a few days before, maybe a week before, my um, my wife and my mother-in-law had done the spring cleaning and gone a little too nuts with it. So I, I went not quite dumpster diving, but uh, <laughs> I saved a few things from the trash. And uh, one of them actually turned out to be the uh, the, the portable Young, um, you know, the, the one edited by Joseph Campbell. So it was kind of... Mm. Just for the synchronicity, hey, let's do Young. I'm like, I just saved Young from the garbage, so that was kind of fun. A few other <laughs> right things, right on. 
I also saved um, this monkey puppet. So that was nice. <laughs> a cookie monster. That's at work, though. I, I attack my students with a cookie monster now sometimes for funsies. <laughs> um, it was kind of weird, though. Um, I guess the interview style is like, like you said, what Jung says is generally quite sharp. I was not sure about the interviewing style. Maybe it was too antiquated or something with uh, John Freeman. I was like, I could do better in this. Yeah, I did feel a little like the interviewer was missing some of the points that Jung was making. Like he had a prepared script that he wasn't able to leave, you know, like he didn't write the questions himself. That's kind of the impression I got. Because I feel like now with podcasting, we're kind of used to a more free flow style of interview where you might ask a follow up question that comes out of nowhere, whereas that felt very scripted. Yeah, I mean, one thing I do is I mean, I, I sent you my notes, but otherwise I don't actually think of any questions or anything ahead of time. Obviously, I set up the monkey puppet because it's right there, but uh, <laughs> that was a last minute. <laughs> last minute thought there orchestrating huh <laughs> yeah that, that that's the uh, beginning and end of my orchestrations here um but i, I don't need an excuse to play with a monkey puppet anyway um yeah one of the first questions too uh like you said it's a little bit about your life but the first one when did you first feel consciousness of your own individual self I'm like man i don't think i can answer that <laughs> or maybe yeah, I can. That, I, that was you know best asked to a man like young i feel like that's uh something he wrestled with his whole life right this idea of the self and uh and yeah he had an answer for it you know maybe it's something that we don't really think of often now in our current culture but i think it, it might have been more of a noticeable thing when there was less distraction you know you, you consider how Jung described his upbringing in a very rural place you know people in that setting they got things to do you know they've got a lot of chores and what you know, things to maintain the house get food keep things going right so as soon as a kid is it, past that stage of like floating around and the kid like dream consciousness and they kind of have that self-awareness then they're useful you know now you're going to get a, a plow and and plow the field or you're going to hop on the tractor and, and learn how to do it so maybe that is a uh, more yeah antiquated for sure but an indicator of the of the environment young grew up in the fact that he was like yeah i was conscious at this age well i know the um you know with the the aboriginal uh, or the australian aboriginal idea is they I, i've heard they don't really make plans everyone just kind of shows up to do the thing at the time <laughs> because that's the time to do it right so that's yeah this this is very synchronistic because tara and i have been thinking a lot about time and and what you just mentioned is very similar to some of the things that we've been working on and young is the guy who kind of coined the phrase synchronicity you know he brought this word into the zeitgeist and time synchronicity these are uh unseparable concepts you know they go hand in hand well, the, do we have to credit sting with really pushing that word into the mainstream <laughs> but i sting? mean 
Yeah. Again, I, well, from six years old, I already knew the word, right? Because you got the police song. So, I mean, mm. it worked. Right. <laughs> um, right. I, I, I did start thinking about my answer to that question after my snarky, like, you can't answer that. So I guess there's two ways. One would be your first, like, super enlightenment, like, detailed moment. One might be a first memory. So we can, we can psycho um, analytically analyze ourselves just for fun and, and I'll, I'll knock I'll knock out our earliest memory the earliest thing I can work out is being in I guess I was born in 79 so it would have been a relatively late 70s 80s fashion like townhouse with a spiral staircase maybe my friends were my parents were visiting some friends and one thing is that I can't quite tell if that's a dream memory or a fabricated one or a real one so because that would have been when I was like two years old. But uh, just for, can you actually work out um, an early, like, hey, what's the haziest, earliest memory you can work out? Mm. Well, you know, this is something that's very personal to me, but I remember being on the shore of this lake that my family would all go to every summer and looking up and seeing a bird circling overhead. That was probably one of the earliest or maybe like, Disneyland, <laughs> cliche, that sounds like flying down to Florida at six years old was definitely uh, memorable because, you know, going on a plane and, and whatnot and being in a totally different environment, those memories stand out in my mind for sure. Sarah? Um, I think the earliest memory is walking up to a, a burrow like a donkey in the... Um, in the desert in Vegas when I was about four. Interesting. Okay. No, it, a lot of in Japan, a lot of kids like mine's from age two. You've got one from age four. A lot of my teenage students, they'll claim that they don't remember anything until like elementary school, which kind of blows my mind. And I, I wonder if it's a cultural thing. Interesting. What is life like for kids before elementary school in Japan? One interesting thing is I, I think Japan has a reputation for being kind of like, you know, strict and disciplinary in their school system, but they do let the kindergarten students just go, go fucking nuts. <laughs> <laughs> so, which I have to deal with a little bit of that. But um, yeah, when my daughter was in uh, kindergarten, they, they call all of the preschool years kindergarten, but it was this, it's not there anymore. Now it's just a uh, overgrown patch of weeds, which is weird because my kindergarten in America, I think is still there. But um, this is like this really old structure and it's sort of a C shape and uh, a field in the middle. It's a pretty common construction for a Japanese kindergarten. And they, I actually went there a few times to teach English and I go in and it's, it's this rickety old building. They have like a, this giant gas furnace going in the middle of winter. So it, it, that was like a time shift. <laughs> it was like going way back in time, even for my, for my daughter's classes. Yeah, right on. Yeah, speaking of time shift, did you hear that? Uh, what was that? A, a crow or a sparrow or something? Blue Jay <laughs> out our window. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, I, I do note the birds. Um, I don't think we get ambient sound on my end because I don't. I haven't heard any trains come by in the podcast, and it's pretty loud when they do. So, <laughs> get birds in the recording. So, the other, getting back to that first question, that that would you know, okay, first I feel consciousness, first memory. The other one is when did you, there, there's a, there's a good Indian term for it. 
Bitty, bin, sorry, I can't, maybe you know what I'm talking about, but it's a, a flash of pure consciousness just when you observe everything, usually just for a split second. I guess a, you know, a master is able to, uh, to do this all the time, but this is mm. 2016. It, I'd only really started meditating a few months before. And, and the, I think I mentioned before, the main purpose was I was like, hey, can I get the DMT in my head working? Which, yes, you can, but there's really a different goal there. But uh, being at a, at a barbecue, Japanese-style barbecue, that's fun. They just throw meat on a grill and uh, then you eat it. So no hamburgers, no hot dogs, just meat, a few vegetables. But uh, yeah, we're doing there. I just look out and it's... Um, we're, we're outside, but in a carport and there's a frame, like a window. And I just look through there and, um, and, uh, just the whole universe, like poof, all the colors burst out. And I actually had my camera. So I, I shot a photo of it. Maybe I'll send that along later. But, uh, <laughs> so not yeah, only, I, do. not only did I get the flash of enlightenment, but I also, you know, took a picture of it. So that was kind of cool. <laughs> Why don't you take a picture yeah. longer? Um, I, I feel like I can, you know, a lot of people, you can't be like, when did you, have the universe open up but i feel like uh, you're safe people to ask if, if you had a first moment for that well no i i definitely think i mean tara do you want to go first but i, I definitely think i have a, a moment where i i had a, that type of revelation or epiphany yeah yeah i definitely did too like a spiritual awakening you mean or just like a one specific moment where everything comes together yeah, just a flash of reality, so to speak. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that happens often. Oh, yeah, it happens more and more, but I was just wondering if, you, if you're able to pinpoint the first time that uh, you really had oh, a flash. The first time. Uh, hmm. Was it at a young age? Yeah, I mean, I guess, well, my great... Yeah, well, I mean, greatest flash of reality was probably when I was 11 and my, my, my father died. It was like, boom. And that started a, a process that I think triggers these flashes of reality more and more over time. Um, and then I think maybe my more conscious first flash was... Um, in the jungle in Costa Rica. That sounds like a fun place it's for it. There. Although I'm like, okay, I'm sitting here like, oh, I'm jealous of that. But I'm like, well, well, mine is in the mountains in Japan. I guess you can't complain, can I? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going uh, yeah. to see if I can share the screen for a moment because I actually did find this. Um, Downloads. There's my screen. Sorry. I'm, oh, there we go. I, I actually did find this photo. Can you see my screen? A moment. Well, yep. Yeah. Just for fun, I actually I, I just tracked it down. It actually wasn't too hard. It's the, the you can see the thumbnail now, but it's loading. Thinking uh, about it, I got a creaky old computer here too. So oh, I don't know if you're just creaky or old, but I have a no, computer that doesn't. There we go. That, that was it. I just, I caught it. And I, so I took out my phone and took a picture. I just thought it might be important. And uh, I guess now it is. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, here, oh, I just looked outside. And, oh, it's still waiting. Still okay. waiting on it to load. Don't worry. <laughs> We're not unimpressed. We're just waiting for it to load. That's cool. Um, 
Mark, do you have one of those moments uh, while while it's thinking about it? Yeah, I mean, in light of Tara's profound spiritual experiences, mine seem kind of minor, but uh, that's just because I know her very well. Um, but I would say, for me, it was definitely this one moment uh, where I meditated, and I want to say I lost consciousness, but it wasn't the way that you would typically blackout. I, I would say it was more of a whiteout, you know, with white light flooding in as I was doing this mantra and I opened my eyes and, you know, on the ground in front of me, if you know, you're not sharing your screen, but I can't see the thumbnail. It's very, very. Yeah. We'll have to colorful. go for the thumbnail for now, but okay. I'll stop that. But yeah, that's, that's what I had going, but uh, we got your feather. But, yeah. I woke up from this uh, sort of whiteout and this feather was very, very uh, almost weightless suspended on this tall grass in front of me and it all synchronistically wrapped into something that i was learning from a mentor of mine at that age so that was definitely at the very least a moment of uh, realization of of what life had to offer and maybe some of the spots where i wasn't quite aware and awakened yet. so yeah I guess that's sort of like the uh, the young story with the the uh, scarab, where the lady. I mean, I think it's in the on synchronicity essay, mm. where um, she's like, I had this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it was I saw an Egyptian scarab or something. He just sees it right outside the window, opens the window. Oh, like this one. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. Young was trying to prove that point to. Uh, I think it was someone he was. Uh, it was like a fiance or a wife or someone he was, you know, in a relationship with in a deep way. And he was trying to convey this to them or someone that worked for him. I'm not quite sure who it was, maybe a student, but yeah, it was very interesting how, you know, this man had an almost magnetic ability uh, in that way. And I think we all do. We all tap into that. And that's what Carl Jung was kind of saying towards the end of the interview when he mentioned like, how he wanted to go to other places. And there we go. Okay, you're We're back in the room. Back. Where'd you lose me? Um, let's see. It was he's, how things would just uh, sort of happen around Carl Jung with his magnetic personality. But, you know, I, I, we all do start to see this in our own lives as we will get trippier with our own lives, I guess. So, <laughs> right. And this is like the, the, side effect of his inquiry into these subjects you know like one of the things that he mentioned uh when he was talking about his career choice was psychiatry was his choice because it gave him the freedom to look into all these different ideologies and i think he was really good at synthesizing contrasting oh i just like the idea um they have uh 13-year-old or young Carl Jung getting into a young man's uh, alley fight. That, that, I always love stories like that. Um. Yeah, and he, he, he mentions how tough he is and how he swung one boy around by the legs, right? He took on seven boys, he said. <laughs> and he swung one of them around by the legs. I don't know. I've been in a couple fights in my youth, and I don't remember ever having the opportunity to pick someone up by their legs and swing them around. But that's a testament to his strength, at, at least. I mean, 
I wonder how tall he is himself, you know, like it was Carl Jung a big tall guy. Was he a little stocky guy? It's, you can't tell from watching that just from that seated position, but he does seem to be rather uh, uh, stocky. At least, you know, he's not a thin man. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was thinking I, I fortunately never really gotten any fights. I, I, when I was a boy scout, I think a boy scout and I got into a fist fight just to see what it would be like, <laughs> but we weren't angry or anything. It's like, let's, let's try this out. Maybe we'd seen too many movies. I don't know. Um, the other story along these lines I, I just love is um, there's a story about Bach as a, a, I don't know, 25 year old getting into a knife fight in an alleyway because he, he called someone a, a shitty bassoonist, excuse me, a nanny goat bassoonist. And of course, in, in, in German, bassoon is a uh, fagot. So, <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. So when you, when you read it, you're like, wow, that's, oh, but he's just talking about the instrument. He's not. You know, we, we're putting our modern sensibilities on his on his insult, but uh, you know, the guy was still pissed oh, off. So, <laughs> a German guy a bassoon and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> so, where, where, um, did you, where did you uh, grow up, Matt? I know you're an expat, right? So you're you moved to Japan, but what part of the states did you grow up in? I'm from Atlanta. Okay, I think you suburbs of Atlanta. Although most of my family's pretty mid-Atlantic, they're uh, uh, like Delaware, Maryland, and most of them have uh, drifted north to Maine. So, okay, interesting. Tara and I were just in Maine two weeks ago. Which part of Maine was that? Uh, right up, you know, the southernmost part, like uh, Old Orchard Beach and. Seco. That's where I worked. <laughs> yeah. I I, there's at um, not quite old orchard, but a little, little more, little closer to the jetty. Uh, there is a little outdoor center. It's, it's not. I think they've moved inland somewhat now, but uh, we were right on the beach. Um, one, uh, I barely know how this um, story connects, but maybe it does. There was one of the nor'easters coming through, so maybe eight in the evening. I'm walking along with a guy a couple of years older than me, but just you know, kind, kind of a thoughtful hippie sort of dude. And um, very chill guy, but the waves are crazy just coming in and out of the beach. And suddenly he just starts wave chasing. Like he'll just run out to where the wave is, and then then try to run back. I'm like, that's really dangerous. This is the middle of a nor'easter, man. <laughs> so, you know, uh, just, well, okay, I guess he's you know Bach and Young getting in fights. Uh, we're all capable of things that don't seem obvious. Yeah, and I mean, that's reminiscent of what we did when we were up there. We jumped in the water, despite how cold it was. But uh, but Young, I was kind of shocked the first time I watched this documentary uh, interview when he said the only man he would kill, like as if there was a man he would kill. I mean, I personally, I don't think I could kill anybody unless they were trying to take my life. But it seemed like he took a little bit of joy in uh saying that you know because that professor really put him through uh, a lot of suffering it seemed like but yeah it, it was a little shocking to hear him say that maybe also antiquated um on a total tangent i, I want to tell one more story up from Saco, maine which is um you know we were teaching environmental environmental education and we do a, a lesson telling kids about how you know erosion and the jetty and all that so a guy gets up in front of the kids and he's drawn on a whiteboard and he's like, he's drawing like, okay, cause the jetty looks like this and the water comes around like this. And 
and he just like un, in, inadvertently um, drawn like a horrible phallus. So, because <laughs> it's a jetty. So he's got that. And then he's like, yeah, the way the sand moves, he's trying, we're like, oh my. We're, uh, <laughs> He's like, yeah, the way the sand moves is, uh, you know, it's called longshore drift. It's kind of a long word, so I'm just going to abbreviate as LSD. <laughs> so that's when that's when he caught himself right on the D, because these are 13 year old kids, so they know what's up. <laughs> oh, gosh. A little uh, poor planning on that lesson plan. <laughs> yeah, but well, hey, you know what? I don't remember any of the other lessons from what 20 years ago, but I remember that one. So. <laughs> And I remember how longshore drift works now. I don't remember most of the other things, uh, the environmental lessons I'd be teaching there, but I remember that one. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Young studied some of that memory and mm -hmm. uh, memetics and mnemonics, right? Yeah. Oedipus complex. Oh. <laughs> I think that's for Freud, is it? <laughs> Yeah, that's more Freud's oh, department. Sorry, guys. <laughs> no, right. no, the next thing was going to be um, about Freud because uh, John Freeman here is really kind of goading Young to talk shit about Freud. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You felt that way too, right? It did seem like he was, uh, again, had this script that he was sticking to. He had like this pre- uh, idea of who Jung was it didn't seem to fit who Jung actually was but that's the style I think of that kind of like yellow journalism uh in a way but also that was a time when you know reporters were a little bit more I mean this is a documentary but still right but um yeah, because I guess we call Freud's uh, psychoanalysis. That's where I was stumbling over my words earlier, because I was about to say um, Jung was psychoanalyzing. I'm like, no, 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 he didn't psychoanalyze. He did a, a analytical, not psychosis. I don't know. I, I don't, I'm jumping all over my own words, but. <laughs> oh, analytical psychology? Is that what you're, I mean. That's what I'm trying to spit out in the worst way possible, yes. There was another. I found this on the wiki page where he'd used schizophrenia in like a really weird way. It was like having a schizophrenia, which I thought was odd. I, I think when, yeah, when in the, in the young interview is the topic of schizophrenia. Yeah. This is, this is a, a quote that he said, not, not in the interview, but um, this, I was reading the wiki, but just the way he phrased it, um, getting, getting back to music a little bit, um, he said, I thought I had a schizophrenia, and I never heard it referred to as like a noun before. So, you know, I, I play in orchestras and stuff. That makes me think of a, a scherzo, which is a joke. <laughs> so, it, just it for seem like there was a little bit of an English to uh, whatever Jung's native language was. Uh, barrier right like some of the words they were using he was using was like uh, mixed true true so I guess but the weird context then made me think you know scherzo schizophrenia and I was like wow those words really are super similar and a scherzo is a joke so <laughs> I just I don't I don't know what that means it's just word association but if you're talking about Carl Jung you get to do that right <laughs> joke of the unconscious on the conscious schizophrenia isn't that where the unconscious kind of overrides the conscious mind so it's like 
in a way, yeah, that's one way to look at it, I would say. Or you're catching things, you know, your, your senses are picking up extra things and you're just not able to process it properly. Mm. Yeah. You know, too many things in a rush or just getting something but not seeing it in the right way. So, yeah. Um, well, where, where was I? Oh, yes, yes. I, I definitely want to get into the idea that's also not in this interview, but we can certainly overlay it on this interview that um, Jung was really kind of like a secret occultist. I, and I don't mean that in like a conspiratorial way, just like that was, you know, alchemy did turn out to be one of his main aims, even though on uh, the face of things, he'd usually uh, like he is in 1959 showing up as the uh, wise and old professor. But uh well, his book, Psychology and Alchemy, it's beautiful. I, Tara and I were just looking at it. It's behind me, right over my shoulder there. Uh, this shoulder. Oh, this shoulder. <laughs> but, oh, there we uh, go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it takes you through alchemy as a psychological process of self-improvement, right? The self being... Uh, an explanation for our consciousness, but also our relationship with the external environment, right? So Jung had it uh, in his psychoanalytical way, uh, sort of schemed out to be kind of layered, right? You have your subconscious, then your conscious, then your superconscious, and this is how you interact with this same multidimensional environment. And he's in this book using different myths and uh, stories from in a sort of Joseph Campbell sort of way to show the psychological themes in these alchemical symbols, right? Revealing that maybe the occult all along was just about this kind of psychological art of improving your consciousness to be uh, a more successful uh, being in your environment, whether that whatever success means to you or, or actualizing yourself like the uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs that top of the pyramid, uh, people from the dawn of time have sought that out, you know, that's our sort of, uh, you know, the the antithesis or the not the antithesis, the the height of, of who we can become. Yeah, and, and also the unconscious conscious well and the evolution of it too and that's kind of part of why he's looking at the mythology and connecting these stories from our past to show how the human mind or the psyche as he calls it in this documentary um has evolved through these stages and he even says i have it written down man will never deviate from the original pattern and man cannot stand a meaningless life, right? So that Maslow hierarchy of needs, that top of the pyramid there, that's meaning, you know, we strive for finding meaning and Carl Jung found that all over the world. And that's part of his theories. Like this is a universal thing. We as, as man are all the same. We all share the same consciousness, which was a radical idea at his time, because a lot of people were thinking like, hey, you know, maybe these aboriginals think one way and people from Africa think another way and people from Asia think another way. No, no, no. This was all, you know, changed with the help of 
psychologists like Carl Jung. You know, we are all human beings. We all share uh, the same consciousness and it, it's unique and varied in many, many different ways, but at the root, it follows that same pattern. Yeah, I mean, instant alchemy. I can introduce myself to someone and concoct a completely true story that makes my life sound like a living hell. And I can concoct a completely true story that makes people think, oh, you're leading an enviable life. I could do both of those things right now. But that's all the past. The now is the only thing that matters. So the only thing that's bothering me now is my toe hurts a little bit. And that's my fault. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's part of the hierarchy of needs. You need the security and safety of your body functioning correctly and not running around with stubbed toes. So you got to take care of your toes so that you continue to evolve in a positive direction. Yeah, it all right? figures together. Through this, yeah. yeah, and I think the alchemy and the, the symbolism, they it's all a language of the unconscious that we're translating here with the whole and al the alchemy alchemical process of uh, like making the unconscious conscious again and uh right and that's part of what he was saying with this kind of question oh. in that goading kind of way that the interviewer was his name john harris right is that uh john freeman freeman john freeman so he asks him about you know, World War II and how he supposedly predicted World War II in some way. And what are your predictions for World War III? And Jung kind of turned the question around a little bit saying like, we're on the precipice of a breakthrough in human consciousness. And we need to be able to understand our own psyche because man is the greatest danger to himself like when we look out in the universe especially at that time they were saying you know oh this is a danger that communism is a danger nuclear weapons are a danger all these dangers you know and they're off the the brink of world war ii so that the loss of life is fresh you know it's real it's visceral people feel it you know there's so much pain in the world at that time and what carl jung says instead of you know prophesizing like nostradamus he says, like, no, we need to understand our psyche so that we can prevent ourselves from destroying ourselves, right? And I think that's a very wise uh, thing to take away from the, the documentary itself. And as Tara mentions, you know, the unconscious, right? This is the uh, basis of all of what Jung was studying, the unconscious, how dreams affect our lives and how synchronicity kind of played into him understanding this, him playing into this larger picture, right? He was piecing together things that were waiting to be pieced together in a way. And I think that connects to what Tara and I have been researching lately is like signs, symbols, and synchronicities and how they connect to the overall story that is your life and how that story connects into the larger story that we're all living in. And Jung shines so much light on the mechanics, so to speak, of our psyche and used alchemy to kind of connect the dots because this is not, you know, he's standing on the shoulders of giants, so to speak, right? There's so many figures uh, through time who have studied many different things 
in that genius-like way. And all of them come around to studying alchemy because alchemy is the process of transmuting lead to gold. What does that mean? Your lead consciousness to gold consciousness, a dark shadow consciousness to light, to the sun, right? So this is kind of where Jung came at uh, just by studying psychology as a psychiatrist, as a doctor, as somebody who loved nature, you know, he didn't go around looking like in a Harry Potter type way for spell books and doing black magic cauldron stuff with toads, you know, it, when people think of alchemy in the occult, that's what they think of. They think of Crowley, like our first uh, conversation that you and I had in the first documentary that you and I had. But what's so beautiful is how Jung and Crowley were kind of studying the same thing, how to become uh, what you want to be. And Crowley did it in a negative kind of way, Jung did it in a very positive and uplifting kind of way. So this is a, a great opportunity. And I'm, I'm thankful that you, you gave us this opportunity to have this conversation on oral hygiene straight from Japan. Radio. Yeah, I need to be my hype, man. <laughs> um, have you seen a movie called The Holy Mountain? I've heard about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I it's it's like a biblical. Time. You've seen it? Yeah. Oh, I, don't, I don't remember much except for some disturbing parts on the movie. Oh, it has lots of disturbing parts. It's it's yeah. made to be disturbing. <laughs> but it's... Since I didn't watch it. Well, I'll, give, I'll just give a, a brief sort of synopsis of it, which is um, all the imagery in it, what happens, it's all sort of that, it's not showing you Crowley things, I think, but it's showing that side of alchemy. It's got, um, it's surreal as hell. It starts with finding a Jesus on the cross among a bunch of wax Jesuses, and the alchemist takes him up to his pad and has him like shit in a vial, and then he goes to turn that into um, gold, you know, the literal alchemy thing. But after that, he starts amassing, it's like, I don't remember the set. Maybe it's I'm going to say seven because that's always a good number. The seven most wealthy people on the planet and convinces them to throw away all of their material wealth and follow him on, you know, to the holy mountain. And uh, I will not spoil the ending of the movie for you, which could absolutely piss you off. But okay. I, I think I think in a it piss you off in a fun way, I'd like to say. But <laughs> That'll be our third uh, installment of the My Family Thinks Some Crazy Meats Oral Hygiene uh, Documentary Digestion Series. That, that, that won't go in the experimental film bin, but <laughs> more than the documentary. But yeah, it is a favorite. It's, it's, a, it's, a, midnight, it's a midnight movie. The other one, um, I'm running the risk of you know bringing up what I talked about a few episodes ago, but I think it's important, especially talking about Carl Jung. I had a I was actually talking to him two days ago, which was a uh, member of the classes in the 70s, uh, Jane Roberts ESP classes, where she would um, channel Seth, who is kind of would be, you know, like more super conscious being coming in and, and saying stuff. Um, and that's some wild stuff that I would recommend. Um, I, I don't, I'm not even like, I believe in channeling or anything. And I, I don't think she did either, but it's what is said is interesting. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, that's a huge theme in Crowley's work channeling. I mean, he, he allegedly channeled a being named I was his big, long spelled out name. And 
that was apparently in the pyramid, you know, the Great Pyramid in Egypt. So, yeah, channeling goes back way further than him. But I think it's very interesting. I myself, Esther Hicks in the Law of Attraction series, like that's a channeled uh, type of information that's benefited me in some ways along my journey. I won't say like I stand by that stuff and I don't like have any of those books anymore, I don't believe. But it's just, it's definitely, it was a pivotal shift that I took. And, and the person that taught me about that stuff was interesting, but there's a lot of different channeled beings and, you know, where and who they're coming from is important. I think the more like vague names like Bashir and Kryon and, you know, these ones I find less trust in, but I also haven't examined them too thoroughly. But if you go back to like the 19th century, they had the Theosophists, they were channeling all these people and, you know, they have these essentially like ascended masters. And if you look into that, it, it kind of makes sense that people might have been channeling these beings for wisdom all over the world in, in different ways. Like what other explanation would you have for sort of like the ayahuasca story, right, where these shamans found the one vine out of millions and millions of plants in the Amazon that mixed with these other plants that have DMT in them all naturally and then created this brew, you know, it's just, and you ask them how they figured it out. They don't say that they, you know, did some kind of pencil and paper work and spent years and years and got slaves and did it, you know, like cut down all these parts of the jungle like they would now if we had to try to figure something out like that. No, no, no. The spirits told them where to go and the spirits told them which plant. And to me, that's no different than channeling. I think what we have to understand, and this is part of Jung's work, is that our consciousness, our subconsciousness, and our higher consciousness are in this sort of uh, interchange, exchange of information, and they're all sensing different fields that, that we're a part of, and we tend to get focus focused in on the five senses of this conscious conscious middle part right but we have the higher conscious our higher self our you know guardian angel some people might say right or and obviously we have our subconscious that's very common but i think what channeling could be is either your you know higher consciousness taking some alter ego of yourself or an actual communication with the being outside of yourself, right? But to me, it's more plausible that this information comes from within because we are special beings here on this planet. You know, we come uh, as, you know, vessels of light. This, this body is a vessel for our consciousness. And that's what Jung was beating around the bush to get. And that's what Aleister Crowley, you know, burned the bush down to find out, you know, and that's kind of the, the two extremes of the way to figure it out, right? But at the end of the day, that's all it is. It's, it's light, you know, and I think that's uh, channeling whoever you want to trust. You got to trust your heart first. Because at the end of the day, those people are trusting their heart through whatever they think is going on, and they're going to explain it however they will. I got two responses are completely different topics. I, I guess the first one, I'll, I'll, uh, I actually brought up not so much for the channeling, um, although that is my second response, <laughs> but uh, not so much for that, but for his 
description of reality versus Jung's description of the psyche. So in, in this material, we this physical world would be framework one. Again, the five sense one. Framework two is that astral realm um, where it does include sort of the higher self part of your soul. That's where this entity would, said he was basically coming from. Now, here's where it gets really trippy, though. We actually spend equal time in both frameworks. So reality is more like a film strip, which we've heard quantum physicists say in things, too. It's, it's weird how much of this actually does dovetail in. The idea is we're blinking out constantly. So when my hand moves, it actually is like, like it's here. Well, it's, it's, it's even moving there, isn't it? Right. But it's not moving at all. It's totally frozen. And in that split split of a second, it flashes. Everything disincorporates and becomes framework two, where right now we are making agreements and deciding where to go on a almost telepathic level. And then it's flashing back in for the next frame of framework one, where we are co-creating the entire universe, you know, like billions of times a second. Um, and we get that veil of forgetfulness every time we flash back in for the most part, you know, you, uh, that's where we are, the intuition comes in. We kind of remember a little bit about what's happening over there, so to speak. But that's what some of the you know sages say, like, don't look for enlightenment. It's always right there. And you're spending half your time in enlightenment, no matter who you are. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, we do spend so much of our life sleeping too right and that is when we directly connect and go into our astral ethereal emotional whichever you know label you want to put on it that body uh and that time you know i think it's an indicator of our culture the fact that we forget our dreams i don't think that that's uh something that's supposed to be going on and i think part of what young was talking about is this change that we're going through age of Aquarius, right? In the 1960s, the year before, I mean, this was in 1959 when this interview happened and Jung was pretty old, but, you know, I think his work contributed to what we're now feeling in this age of Aquarius, where people are understanding these concepts and these truths uh, in a deeper way, because for so long in the age of Pisces, in the age of duality, there was uh, this kind of covering up of what was true and keeping it from people and only a select few would have access to it right and here we are now in the now talking to someone literally on the other side of the globe you know and it's beautiful that you know my information that i've studied plus the information you've studied now comes together in concert and we can then inspire people who will find this podcast which will exist on the internet for as long as it will which is probably a long long time and uh and that's amazing i think this is the the age of aquarius that we're in where people have the ability to share information at such a fast speed where books were helpful in that mission for 400, 500 or so years. Now we have word again, you know, word, spoken word. That's the real vehicle of, of community, you know, knowledge and truth and wisdom, you know, and now with the aid of recording audio and sharing it with other people, we can learn from one another in that really, uh, 
original way. And that connects back to what Jung said about us always being in this pattern, you know, and that's not a bad thing, but we're spiraling, you know, we're spiraling upwards, right? And every time we go around this spiral, we hit the different tones, like different keys on a piano, and each tone affects us in a different way and we change for the better or the worse as we progress right and it's up to us to determine that trajectory of the spiral we can spiral up or down and i think that you know as we go through these ages uh we're evolving as one human you know just like uh, we look at animals and their spirit as one you know bear spirit or, you know humans are one consciousness on the on the planet and i think that's something young figured out or, or tried to explain through his work the second thing i wanted to do is uh, get just briefly get back to the channeling idea where it's like you said it's really not that special thing and when you think about it you've you've definitely done it so i'm, I'm and i'm asking the listener too not not just the two of you um what what is there something in your life where you're like yeah i i definitely channeled that for me i um i wrote some songs back in 2012 and i was not I had nothing to say. So I was just trying to put words together that sounded good, right? <laughs> Which is basically an automatic writing technique, although I didn't know that at the time. I didn't really get into any of this stuff till 2016. So this is like four years before I even researched any of these ideas. Now I look back on like, huh, how'd I know that? <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think all of us have the power to tap into the... Uh, Akashic record, right? That's a good way to explain it, but that's just the organic version of what we're on right now, the artificial record of information, right? But if you connect with your inner self and your higher self, that information, that light starts to affect you in a progressively better and better way. What's relevant to you will come to the light and what's relevant to your journey and the information that you need to know. I mean, not everybody needs to go and study the life of Carl Jung or the life of Aleister Crowley or any of the other people that we mentioned today, but that is what we've done in a way, right? Through watching these documentaries and it's added value to our lives. And that's at the end of the day, what we're here to do is bring more value, bring more knowledge, bring more information, light, joy, all of this good stuff into the fold as co-creators, right? And that's kind of what a lot of the channeling people say too, right? Is how to be, you know, law of attraction, co-creation. I think where some of that goes a little too far is when they're like, all you have to do is think about a red Ferrari and then next week you'll have a red Ferrari, you know? And that's maybe the commercialization of it where those people, you know, behind the scenes are doing the law of attraction to make the most money possible and they're marketing, you know, they're shifting to being more marketing, but that's fine. You know, everybody has their own path and will reap the rewards or, you know, sorrows of the, you know, consequences of their actions. Let, let me take it back to the, the alleyway where Jung is swinging people around and Bach is getting into knife fights with uh, bassoonists. So let, let's say we meet in that, in that dark alley and, um, and then I just murder you. So, oh my God. Okay, so, but here's, here's the thing, right? Now, one, that's, you never kill 
anything is you can do it right so I, i'm not i'm pretty sure i can say i'm not capable of murder but so let's say the murder in that case <laughs> um in reality you're sitting there you, you look up you're like holy shit and it all ends however it ends so in that other framework you've actually put out a telepathic call that i could be murdered at this point so in the second framework, death doesn't really matter that much. It's just like, let's see what happens. In the physical world, it's horrible. But in the second one, you just put out a signal like, I, this experience can happen to me now. You pick up on, or the murderer picks up on that particular vibe like, oh, I can murder this person. I actually do have agreement in this second framework. But you have free will. So you always have the choice not to do it. And that's part of growth. Someone is saying, yes, you can do this. We can have this experience uh, from this, you know, deeper inner self, higher self frame of mind. We can have this experience. I'll learn from it. You'll learn from it. It's all rosy in the astral. And that's where you can get to like new age flippy. Oh, everything's fine in the astral. It's almost like, I mean, to take it back to a more like uh, PG-13 level, it's like, wearing a seatbelt you know it's like when you put on a seatbelt you're almost making an agreement like okay a car crash could happen when i'm in this vehicle whereas some people it's like they don't wear a seatbelt at all and they live their life with that kind of free attitude and it might seem reckless to someone who kind of lives maybe glass half empty but when you start living glass half full like you're describing and you're in control of those agreements you're making on the psychic level of things the physical world starts to align with that at least that's what i've found in, in my short journey right, <laughs> so but the, the the ultimate thing is it comes to that choice of that person in the physical world that's why the physical world's so important because it's way fun to think about astro and all that but you know right right here right now is the most important thing because that's when i make the choice and that's when i learn from the choice i made i'm spiraling up and getting better or i've really got to figure a way to learn that lesson again because i, I just screwed up right and, and i think as you know we get more of a look in our mind I, I haven't had a proper argument with anyone for probably a year and a half and in that time there were I, I had a I got a good excuse to have a short temper at that particular time, not because of the person I was in an argument with, by the way. But, you know, you see the uh, oh, we'll call it the Eckert Tolle of pain body or something. You see it drift in and it's like, you know what, I'm going to ignore that because going along with that is going to be a bad time. Yeah. So that's why the now is so important, because the choices you're making at the moment is is that's what you're learning from. You, you can't in the physical, you can't actually learn that much from the astral. I mean, that higher version of you that definitely learns from that. But here, I guess I'm getting to the point that a lot of spirituality is like a really fun, enlightening hobby. But what you do in the physical is the most important thing. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I think it all connects. I would say you use the astral and the spiritual to navigate the physical more cohesively. Yeah. You can learn these lessons better if you have a, you know, a, a bit of an ear open to the, the small quiet voice that is intuition from the astral. It's, it certainly informs what you do here, but I, a trap is just, I see people in is, falling into like this isn't important and 
all that's beyond that's what's important and that that's one that i mean you're not going to enjoy your life here if you get caught in that trap you're you're almost waiting to die in that case so you can experience the beyond i think that's what happened to like the spiritual culture of today they're all trying to live for ascension and out of the body and like life is better somewhere else you know i've Instead i've managed I've managed a few out-of-body experiences. Uh, you know, for me, it's a super fun hobby, right? <laughs> you know, like um, you talked about your whiteout time. I, I more and more, I, I my lunch break, I meditate, and um, it's been getting a little dangerous because I'll try new meditations. I'm like, gee, I hope I don't fall asleep. And sometimes, I'm like, oh crap, is it five hours later? And it's like, oh no, it actually worked out. Yesterday, I tried a brand new one, and I think I did fall asleep for about five minutes, but <laughs> and oh, I came you know, and that's the type of exploration that Tara and I are starting to get into more and more, but we found that intention setting is so important to the process. Like we set the intention to have more dreams and remember our dreams and be in those things have happened in the past following days since setting that intention, you know, and that's just one example of the things that, you know, we've found we can do when we multiply the uh, personal energy, you know, because setting an intention yourself is powerful, but then you multiply that by two people, it definitely adds some, uh, some potency to the mix. Yeah. And that's why I'm also going with like, okay, I'm just a hobbyist with it because I find when I really have a profound, like, you know, like I just directly entered a lucid dream experience, which is amazing. Um, and maybe the next week I'll have it happen again. And after that, it's going to be like six months before that happens again. It's like I just used all that like psychic fuel or something. So, you know, the, the yogi in the Himalayas that's living this ascetic life, they're, they're saving all that energy so they can do this every day constantly where, you know, I'm living my life in the samsara and uh, I can only muster enough for hobby energy. But that's that's what I'm you know, that's my plan right now. So no, that's, a, that's your path for sure. I think that's sort of the young Ian, Joseph Campbell, all these things that were revealed at that time uh, in the 20th century really inspired that, you know, hippie movement that got kind of turned in the wrong direction with drugs and the music industry. But the, initial movement was this grassroots movement of people saying like let's try a different thing let's go out into nature let's live in a more uh cohabitable communal society and that's not you know communism folks that's just people living in small communities and working together that's something that has gone on since the beginning of time back to carl jung's pattern right we were deviating from the pattern by stratifying ourselves and trying to do this empire city building. I mean, this is all, you know, the consequence of Rome and this imperial, imperial, you know, parasite that's affected our culture, I think, in a detrimental way. Uh, some people live in countries where cities are maybe better. I don't know, Japan seems to have it going on differently. 
But when I when I first came to Japan, they were like, "It's not, it's not better. It's just different." But you know what? I'm gonna call a few seeds in Japan um superior. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I mean, there's definitely cities in America that are better than others. You know, we traveled a bunch, and and there's a big contrast. You know, and I think that's part of it. I maybe deviating from my original point, but the place is sacred there's an energy to place and you know this all too well that where you're at it's probably very magical very potent place to meditate you know you can't help but meditate when you're in a place like that and that's why we moved to where we're at right now up in the mountains uh, you know far from where we grew up and uh it's definitely having that effect for sure yeah yeah I mean that that that's the magical approach to life. Um, uh, the 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 hardcore yogi, of course, is taking a very different direction, but they want to. I should hope. <laughs> um, but as for us, we're exploring, we're having fun. Uh, again, whenever you do have a dream, that is the Joseph Campbell adventure because you're that while you're having that dream, you're exploring the unknown, basically, which is uh, the whole whole thing in the first place. But uh, here, I just I actually brought up, I'm just going to read just a few of these lyrics. Um, find a good one there. Yeah, I just the, I was sticking words together. And it's just we are the first lines. It's time to turn you on. Forget the past that just went wrong. Call for the bill. Erase the life you led until. And I was wait, these are freaking concepts here. <laughs> I'm just like, it's wild. So um, getting back, is there is there something that you've, feel like you've created that you're really like hey i didn't make that i mean you know you did but it's it, it's definitely coming from somewhere else as a musician i guess it usually happens in musical form right i'm like i didn't really write that song uh paul mccartney said he didn't really write yesterday just woke up with it yeah i i mean i have uh some crystals that i would rap when i was a couple years ago not too long ago and there there is definitely an aspect to that which felt like I was channeling these patterns, you know, like it, it was very meditative too, like working with the stones and wrapping them, you know, it takes multiple, multiple hours to complete one piece and you're using pliers in your hands for the most of it. So yeah, it definitely felt that way sometimes, but, uh, but no, I mean, at 26 years old, no, I, I think maybe the podcast, I definitely get into this kind of flow state when I'm on my podcasts, certainly when I'm like interviewing people one-on-one, uh, -on -one, but not necessarily. Um, and then also with just conversations in general, like my whole life studying this type of information, like, you know, the title of my show, my family thinks I'm crazy. I mean, all of these ideas that we're discussing that are part of Carl Jung's work, I was kind of figuring out in a way without necessarily knowing about Carl Jung until a couple of years into it, you know, but he was definitely prominent in my research, Alistair Crowley being another uh, person, you know, we talked about the first time I was here, but many others, I mean, Thoth, which is the more esoteric, right? The seven uh, hermetic principles, like all of these things have contributed to uh, a knowledge base that is kind of in a part of my mind that's not always accessible, but easily accessible when I get into this 
flow state of information. And I think that's kind of the preparation uh, of information that leads to this type of conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think once someone uh, with, with lots of guests, once they kind of get into not, uh, we'll call it a rant just uh, for a nice short word, but uh, yeah, sometimes you just see, Oh, this person's not even thinking about what they're saying and not in a bad way. It's just, it's flowing. Like you, like you said, um, I guess with your crystal work, it's a little in Japan, it's a little bit like the Ikebana, the, uh, you know, flower arranging or the, the, um, bonsai or the tea ceremony the idea is to learn it and then let it flow and sometimes people get stuck in the japan they get so stuck on the rules they don't realize that you're supposed to forget the rules at one point too this is one i made pretty early on but it's one of my favorites because it's the the stones are particularly meaningful to me but it's labradorite fire agate and quartz you know but uh, yeah, this is the type of stuff I would do wire wrapping. And I have, this is more simple. Some are more intricate, but yeah, don't typically wear them anymore, but they're definitely a big part of uh, shaping and molding who I, who I've become. Yeah. My, my crystal, I don't do any crystal work, but I do have a bag that I always, my, my little shaman's pouch. It's always in my, in my pocket which I rarely even open, but it has about 10 stones, most of which I got from a vending machine on the side of a mountain in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> you are... It's like the Zoltan machine in Big or something. <laughs> but uh, Tara, any, any interesting creations from beyond? Just to ask a straight up weird question. <laughs> well, just when I'm painting, whatever comes through on the canvas, I say, uh, me. Definitely when you're painting, but yeah, yeah get, get, getting back to the point that all of us are channelers and, you know, some people do it in more um, flamboyant ways than others, I guess. <laughs> mm, yeah, more uh, performative ways. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think we're, well, I'm getting close to the, I got to go to work time, but uh, are there any other last, you know, kind of thoughts or observations you want to throw from, from the Jungian direction? Well, I gotta say, I love the, just the look of the documentary itself. I mean, the, the, you know, obviously 1959, it's kind of black and white, but it was very detailed. It was good. And I like the little intro with the water and the pond, you know, and the outro with the notes floating across the water, but I'd definitely be interested in watching more documentaries like this uh, interview style i found it because i was uh looking for um <clears throat> like a intro clip to my conversation with miguel connor episode uh 51 of my podcast and i think it was 51 or 53 i'm not sure exactly which number it was but miguel connor and yeah we talked about young in that podcast and i found i wanted like you know, actual voice, you know, clip from Carl Jung. And then I found that documentary and used the particular quote about knowing God rather than believing in God. And so, yeah, that's when I was inspired. Like, let me send this to Matt and let's do a podcast about it. So, yeah, yeah I'm always it. game for that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it's actually funny because my viewing of things now is almost 90% active sometimes uh, and, I'm, and I'm probably not going to have an interesting uh, dream experience when I do this I'll watch a few minutes something and 
bed. That's the only time I like pleasure watch things. Otherwise, I'm like actively watching, which I think is good because I don't get entranced by what I'm watching. I'm really thinking about it, uh, uh, especially when I do sci-fi movies. Sometimes I'll I'll take the notes and never even look at them. It's just the act of doing them a lot of times. Same thing when I was in school. I'd take notes and never study the notes. Just the act of writing them was enough. Yeah, yeah, that's very similar to uh, something Tara and I are going to begin to do, automatic writing, you know? It's almost like uh, you start writing and magic happens, you know? But we can definitely... I think we could find a documentary in that vein somewhere, a writer or something, and then come back and have a conversation about that or the uh, previous thing we mentioned that escaped. Oh, uh, Holy Mountain. Mountain? Holy Mountain. Holy Mountain. Yeah. Magic Mountain's an awesome theme park. (laughs) Yeah. We're about to go get some dinner ourselves, but we hope you have a a nice day at work out there in Japan. Our day is about to kind of end over here. You want to tell them where you're at on the the internet and such? Yeah, thank you for the opportunity and thanks again for having me. Tara, thanks for joining me. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Thanks to both of you for coming on. (laughs) Yeah, you can find uh, Tara and I uh, on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. We've got some uh, new episodes coming out this week. I just put an episode out with uh, Dan Danunaki about the box saga and ancient origins. We talk about ancient aliens and a bunch of very interesting topics. And yeah, my family thinks I'm crazy.com if you like uh, browser based, but you can search us in any podcast app and you'll find it. I prefer if people listen on Podcast Addict. Uh, and if you really want to get into like the synchronicity of everything, you find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash MFTIC, where Tara and I have a new podcast called The Synchromystic Experiment in the Ever-Expanding Now. And it's all about how you can understand these concepts in a way that shapes your life in the direction that you want to go in instead of the direction that's been pushed upon you by whatever the circumstances of your birth or your upbringing or your choices, you know, wherever you're at in life in the now, we want to help you out in a way that, uh, you know, helps us too, because that's what it's all about, you know, give and receive. So help us out, folks. Hit us up on Patreon. And I've, I've been listening recently. I think the only one of your recent ones I didn't listen to was maybe episode 52 because I was just tired of that topic. I think it was 52. You probably know what a topic I'm talking about because I don't yeah. feel like saying it on my podcast and getting it flagged or something. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. well, other I'm not afraid of that on the RSS feed. You know, we're, we're secure on podcast 2.0 and pretty soon we're going to be on the satellite. The podcast going to be connected to ipfs so stay tuned for more updates on that and alt media united as well matt i'd love to have oral hygiene on the podcast cooperative that i founded i think we mentioned i mentioned that to you the first time we talked yeah 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 yeah, definitely uh looking for and we'll get you a a page on our site because i definitely want to have you a part of our cooperative all the way our first japanese uh representative in the cooperative Right on. Yeah, definitely. Uh, right now, this one's oral hygiene at uh, Facebook, Twitter, on, on your regular podcast uh, feeds, hopefully some other places soon. 
we do have a Patreon for several podcasts. Some of them are about Pokemon or Monster Hunter, or the other one I'm on is about uh, sci-fi films. But that's uh, on Patreon at uh, Podcastio Podcastius. Right. On. Yeah. So every time I say it, I'm like, did I just say that right or not? <laughs> So uh, again, thanks for uh, joining. And if you don't don't quite hang up, because I'm going to give you a, a tip or two. But uh, as for everyone else, keep it groovy out there. Right on. Did you advance the film strip? Are you on the final page? Well done. <laughs>